The reading today is from John 10, 22 through 42. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you are a mere man claim because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law, I have said you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, I'm hoping that you all had good time with family or friends, plenty of football, plenty of turkey. I heard this morning that there was a football game yesterday, LSU and Texas A&M. Anybody see that one? for like five hours, seven overtimes, and the score was 72 to 74. I know, that's what I said too. So I'm glad you're here today. It's great to be with you. We are um, this week finishing up our series in the book of John. This, this series has been about stories of life. Um, and this is our last week before we jump into Advent next week. Um, and the, the book of John is really about um, Jesus telling us who he is so that we may believe and that we may have life in his name. And so this second set has been about stories of life, how we can have life that's abundant. So like I said, next week is the first week of Advent, and then um, we'll pick back up with John in February of next year. Um, I, I hope you were here last week. Last week was so special. We had four storytellers from our congregation um, tell stories from the first half of John 10 about Jesus being a good shepherd. If you weren't here, I would really encourage you to take some time and go back and listen um, to the podcast because it was really beautiful. Um, uh, Nicole shared um, about, about her own journey um, and how Jesus has been her good shepherd. Emma, one of our young people, also shared and did just a tremendous job about um, what it meant to be seen um, by the shepherd and by her community. So definitely go back and take a look at that. Um, 
This week, um, we're, we, we've read the passage. We're going to um, talk about the second half of the book of John and how there is life there and this sort of interesting dialogue that Jesus gets into with the Jewish rulers. Um, but before we get into that, I, I'm going to start with a moment of vulnerability. I think any time you put pictures of yourself up as a child to your congregation, there's like this, oh boy. So, um, a, a picture of me, um, <laughs> maybe I was five or six. Um, and in this season of my life, along with my awesome bowl cut, um, I used to sing a song called The Little Red Box. Anybody heard of The Little Red Box? Okay, I'm gonna just briefly sing it. And if you know it, you can just nod your head so I know I'm not alone. Um, I wish I had a little red box, anybody? To put my mommy in. It's a little bit creepy. <laughs> I, I would take her out and I'd and I put her back again. Not a single one of you. Okay, right. Well, that's fine. So this was a song that I sang um, as a child with my bowl cut. And, um, and as I think about it today, I'm like, what really is the point of that song? Like, do we really want to put our mommy in a box? And anyway. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about having a faith that's more than little red box faith, where we take Jesus out when we need him, and we just kind of kiss and hug him, and then we put him right back in our little red box. So um, verse, verses uh, 22 to 24, John chapter 10. We'll set up the context, and then we'll, then we'll get all the way into it. Um, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. All right, here's, what, here's kind of, what's the festival of dedication? Like, I, I didn't even know. Um, the festival of dedication is what we call Hanukkah today. And what that celebrates actually is the rededication of the temple after these, these group of people called the Seleucids had overtaken and desecrated. I mean, like, did all kinds of horrible things, erected statues that were incredibly offensive to the Jewish people, and they overtook the temple. So Judas Maccabeus, together with some other folks, decides to overthrow them and take over the temple again. And Hanukkah is basically the story of the rededication rededication of the temple, um, and this is the season that they're in when Jesus is walking. It's winter, so it's cold, rainy, probably a lot like yesterday, <laughs> um, and he's walking in Solomon's colonnade, which is, is part of the eastern edge of the temple grounds, um, huge columns, like huge, huge columns, and there was a ceiling covering over so that people who were there in the temple could be kind of covered from the elements. So Jesus is walking in the colonnade. It's winter, might have been raining, it's cold. All of a sudden, this group of leaders, all together, all at once, comes right up to him and says, hey, quit keeping us in suspense. If you're the Messiah, just say it. Just like say it right now. It was kind of a tense exchange. 
And they weren't asking like, well, Jesus, can we sit at your feet and will you teach us your ways if you are the Messiah? It was very accusatory. And they weren't asking him to like make it plain, like, hey, can you just make it clear? Which I think sometimes we just want something clear. But they were saying, make it public. Tell us who you are and make it public. And it was a bit of a trap. They were trying to find a reason to accuse him and get rid of him. I wonder if as they were gathering together and waiting for his response, were they actually looking for stones that were nearby? Because they probably already had it in their mind that they were going to look for an opportunity to stone him. The kind of Messiah that I think that they were looking for, especially given that it was Hanukkah and they had this whole festival of dedication in their minds, was a political Messiah, someone who would save them, who would kick out the Roman occupation that was in power in their time, someone who would return to them the power that they once had. So this is really ripe with expectations that these rulers had of who Jesus was and what, what kind of Messiah they were expecting him to be. And Jesus, not being swayed or intimidated, responded from a place of rootedness in his identity. And I think this is the first point for us today, is being rooted in identity. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So he was more than their little red box version of the Messiah that they were wanting and that they were expecting. What we see in this passage is that he was not just the Messiah, but he was a shepherd. He was the Savior. He was the Son of God. He was one with the Father. He was God. He was all of that. And yet what they wanted was just a very narrow version that actually um, benefited them of a Messiah. And he refused. And as, as followers of Jesus, I think that this is really um, a good lesson for us because we face similar things, right? There are expectations that we have of ourselves. There are expectations that, that are placed on us by family, by friends, by, by employers. There are all kinds of things. But the truth of it is, is when we are rooted in our identity, we don't have to be pushed and swayed back and forth in how we respond and who we are. Here's what I see in this passage. First of all, we are known, right? In, in, um, in verse 27, it says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. We are known. Nicole last week did a masterful job sharing her story with us and kind of her journey of asking the question, I'm a, I'm a sheep and I'm here in this congregation and my world looks a little different than yours and I know that Jesus knows me. He created me this way. And there was so much beauty in, in her telling her story of being known and what that meant for her. John is continuing the same theme here in the back half of the chapter. 
And I'll share a story from a number of years ago and then maybe a, a one more recently. Um, back in my seminary days, I, I was really working through some of my own identity issues. Um, it was a pretty intense season and journey um, in my first year uh, as I tried to sort out um, some decisions from my past, some things that were decided for me as well as some decisions that I had made. Um, and I was working through things from a really painful and broken part of my life, reconciling what I believed about myself and the decisions I'd made with who Jesus said I was. Um, and it, it, it wasn't an easy season. I think it's a little bit <laughs> hard to like take you all the way back there and kind of feel my pain with me. But um, it was pretty intense. And there was one afternoon I was sitting um, in my dorm room and you know, it's classic dorm room with a desk and a bed above, and I had some windows um, to my back, and it was Mill Valley, California, which is in the Bay Area, so likely the windows were open that day, and there was a gentle breeze coming through. And there was nothing gentle about what was going on in my soul. Um, and I remember praying and being like, God, like, help. I don't know. I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, how to reconcile all of the things that are surfacing in me that honestly, I just wish would go away. I wish I could push them back down and hide them and pretend like they're not really there. And in that moment, I, I, I just, you know, I was probably journaling, sitting there, praying, listening, and I turned on my stereo Back in the day, we had these things called stereos, and they played things called CDs. <laughs> I turned on my stereo um, and randomly selected was a song called Relentless Love. And these are the lyrics from that, that song. This was Jesus' response to me. I can see you, that you're hurting deep within. It's the way your eyes look empty as you force another grin. You've been searching through the hollows of your mind. Broken hopes and shattered dreams are the only thing you find. You've been longing for the love which knows no end, for the hope that brings tomorrow, for a kind and faithful friend. And the chorus of the song is, I will run to places where you hide. I will calm the fears that rage inside. I will touch the pain that no one can see. I will hold you close to me. I was known. Jesus entered my pain in that moment, in that dorm room, in that struggle. And he said, I see you. I know you. I created you. I, you are known by me, your creator. And it's okay. Your story is our story, and we will walk together through this. He knew my name. He knew what I needed more than I did. And with his relentless love, he entered my pain. And, and like a still frame in my mind, honestly, I can still see everything in that room. I can still feel it. The beauty and the grace of that moment the grace of knowing that I wasn't the sum total of the brokenness that I was dealing with in my soul. In fact, I was loved. And I was chosen by him. 
for a unique purpose. And I think that's the next thing that we see in this, in this passage. Um, verse 29 says, my father, who has given them to me? Meaning that we're chosen. Think about that for just a moment. Just like pause for a minute and understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are chosen by God. And there is a little bit of a paradox here of being chosen, right? And then also Jesus saying to the rulers, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. And in this, we have this tension of yes, we're chosen and we also choose God. We're chosen and we choose. There is a part of us that has been chosen by God and there is a responsibility that we have to choose him in return. And I think we see that because Jesus, when, when it comes to the moment, he doesn't, he doesn't just disappear. When they're getting ready to stone him, he doesn't like somehow like elude them and be gone the first time. He sticks around, and we'll, we'll see that in just a few minutes in the, in the next part of the scripture. Paradoxes are interesting, right? Like, it's not easy to understand and explain how two things that feel opposite can be held in tension, but that's something that I think is true about, about faith, that we are both chosen and we hold this intention. We are chosen and we choose. That there is a reality of divine sovereignty and human responsibility that happens simultaneously. In fact, we're reminded in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? So there's this, there's this part of it that it's a continuation of something that has been accomplished. And we have a responsibility, once we are chosen, to then do something with that chosenness. Just as Jesus came to earth and he, he didn't just say, I am the Messiah, there were all of these works that he did. There was a responsibility and we have a responsibility as chosen ones to live out what it means to be followers of Jesus in our everyday lives. Another thing is that we are eternally secure. Um, it says it, I give them um, eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, my father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Paul, in fact, reiterates um, in Colossians that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Two unconquerable beings hold you and your salvation in eternity. Two unconquerable beings. That's amazing. And I don't know if you have ever wondered about like, is this decision to follow Christ actually holding in eternity? I grew up back in my bowl cut days. Um, really being nervous about it. I, th I grew up in a tradition where, where we actually believed you could lose your salvation. And so as a young girl, I would say a prayer every night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Right? And there was this like, man, I, I got to make sure that I'm always confessing my sins because if I have unconfessed sin, then I might not get to go to heaven. 
Like all, that, all of the decision and the confidence that I've put in Jesus is just going to vanish if I have an unconfessed sin in my life. That's a really hard way to live out your faith. It's a hard place to be, and I don't think that the scripture bears that out. Summer camps, rededicate my life over and over. Like, I'm a Jesus, yes, I'm going to walk the aisle again, even though I've done it 10 years in a row. I'm doing it again because I'm trying to get to heaven. <laughs> and yet in Romans we see that Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor powers, nor height, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? What about you? What's, what's your story? In a room like this, I'm willing to guess that there are some for whom life hasn't gone the way that you had imagined. Maybe you've made choices that you didn't think you would make. There were situations you didn't anticipate and it's left you feeling far from where you wanted to be in your relationship with God. He sees you. He knows you. He's holding you. Let this be good news to you today. Remember that you have never wandered so far as to have wandered outside of God's grasp. Rich Viotis, a pastor in New York City, recently um, put this quote on social media. In the Gospel of Luke, the prodigal son doesn't return home because of a renewed love for his father. He comes back home simply to survive because he ran out of money and is starving. And his father is perfectly fine with that. Just come home. God wants you to come home. You don't have to have it all together in order to come back, in order to like try again with Jesus and say, man, this isn't where I thought I would be, but, but for, for a variety of reasons, man, I just want to come home. And God is like, really glad to have you. I've missed you. He wants you to be known and to know him intimately. He wants to provide for you and to protect you. He wants to hold you firmly in his hands such that nothing can separate you from him. Being rooted in our identity in Christ allows us to have more than little red box faith. It allows us to live a courageous and abundant life with the good shepherd as our guide. And it gives us the freedom to respond to our rootedness in action. We get to respond in action. Knowing who we are and whose we are gives us clarity on what to do. The same is true of Jesus. His words of who he was were backed up by the works that he was doing. Verse 25 says, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Verse 32, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? 
So maybe you're wondering which good works, because you know in this passage it doesn't say it, but we've been in John together for a number of months. And I don't mind just going back a little bit to show you. John 2, he turned the water to wine. And in that he covered the families and he covers our shame. John 4, the healing of the official son, there was authority over sickness and disease. John 5, the healing of the paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda, authority over paralysis and Sabbath. John 6, the feeding of the 5,000, he provided in abundance for the people who were there. John 6, the second half of that chapter, walking on the water and calming the storm, had the authority over the elements, suggesting even authority over the, the storms of our life. John 9, he healed a man who was born blind, who was blind since birth. He has authority to give sight, both spiritual and physical, and he has authority over sin. Justin covered that a few weeks ago. He had already been clear about who he was with both his actions and his words. And throughout John, he claimed to be sent from the Father, to be the I am, to be, the, to be one with the Father. The works that he did were signposts to who he was. But the words he spoke about himself in this passage were intolerable to the rulers because he actually was being very clear. So they tried to kill him for blasphemy, which is kind of not a normal word we use, blasphemy, that's not normal. So I had to look it up. Um, and it is basically the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for deity. They were saying, you, a mere man, claim to be God. That's blasphemy. And they picked up their stones, and they were getting ready to stone him. So um, he buys some time with a momentary debate. Um, you know, it says in, in the passage, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? So there's this little debate around the technical use of the word God, referencing Psalm 82, 6, um, which they would have known and they would have had to consider. And I think he stumped them for a minute, like, like kind of caught them, you know, set them back on their heels a little bit, um, which gave him an opportunity ex to extend them some grace. And I would say practice enemy love. Like he's practicing enemy love with the next thing that he's about to do. But before we get there, let's consider what, what it might mean for us to um, respond in action. Couple things. Um, the passage says, my sheep listen to my voice. So I wonder if, if what it might mean for us um, this week is uh, to maybe take some courage and practice some new disciplines, some new spiritual disciplines. How are we listening to the, to the shepherd's voice? My sheep listen to my voice. What could we do this week to listen to the shepherd's voice? Um, I recently downloaded an app called Centering Prayer. 
And it's basically just an, an app that will help, um, will help you time your prayers and will guide you through a centering prayer, whatever time of the day you'd like to use it. Um, I would recommend that to you if centering prayer is something that you would like to lean into a little bit. It also explains what that is, so if you don't know what that is, check out the app. Um, maybe fasting. Um, maybe fasting is a, a practice, a spiritual practice that would help you listen to the shepherd's voice. As you either stop eating food for a day or stop being on social media for a day or stop something about your life that you feel like you really need to be engaged in and has your attention a lot and then dedicate that time to to listening um, courageous practice of new disciplines oh, maybe journaling so maybe fasting is too much maybe maybe centering prayers too um, but journaling, you know, writing out your prayers to the Lord and then listening and listen for what you think he's saying to you and write that out too. We have a reading guide, um, both for John, which we finished up this week, but we have a reading guide ready for Advent. Use your reading guide and listen. My sheep listen to my voice. And next it says, and they follow me. So it looks like humble obedience to whatever God asks. Uh, Mother Teresa, um, she was asked, like, what, you know, how do you, how do you continue to do this? And she said, I, sm I, just, I just do small things with great love. Washing the wounds of, of the lepers that she cared for, small things with great love. And I wonder what that would look like for us this week. What kinds of small things can we do with great love? Is there a coworker? that maybe you need to get to know? Would you invite them to lunch? Is there a friend or a family member that you're sl slightly estranged with, maybe that you've been thinking about but haven't texted or emailed or called recently? Small things with great love. Would you reach out to them this week? Maybe that's what God is asking you to do. Maybe there's someone that, that, that you've got a broken relationship with. Maybe this would be the week that as you listen to the shepherd, he says, maybe take a step towards them and reach back out to them. Invite your neighbors over for drinks. Hang out with a young person and listen to them with a learning posture because our young people have things to teach us. Maybe, um, maybe one small step is attending the meeting that's going to be coming up about going to Israel. It's a small step. You don't have to be all the way in and fully dedicated, but it would be a small step of a courageous action that you could take if Jesus is calling you to do that. And I don't know what Jesus will ask you to do. These are just ideas that I think it could be. Maybe there are bold and courageous steps. Jesus doesn't always ask us to take small steps. <laughs> Maybe there's something bold and courageous that he's going to invite you into this week or next week as you continue to listen to his voice and follow him. My prayer is that we respond in action and that we receive the invitation Jesus is extending us. And that's the last point is receive the invitation. And what I see in this final section 
is an incredible grace and a persistent love. Because in the midst of them picking up their rocks and getting ready to just hurl them at Jesus, he buys himself some time rather than running away and eluding the situation. He buys himself some time. And this is what he says to them. Hey, don't believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. He's saying, guys, I'm trying every way I can to extend grace to you, to help you understand who I am, what I'm about, help you understand the Father so that you can be known and you can be chosen and you can be eternally secure. And he extends this grace to them again. He wanted them to be rooted in an identity that wasn't built around rules and laws and religiosity, but around relationship with him and the Father. Jewish, the Jewish rulers wanted Jesus to fit into their little red box. He said as much in John chapter 5. You study the scriptures diligently because in them you think you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They were selective about what they believed about him. They wanted him to be the Messiah who would deliver them and overthrow the Roman oppressors and reestablish their political power, but that wasn't who he was. Even though they were constantly confronting him and trying to trap him so that they could get rid of him, he continues to try and help them hear and see and believe the truth. He refused to fit in their little red box. And with outstretched arms, he refused to be minimized. He refused to be less. He refused to be shrunk into their small version of a Messiah that would only save them from their political oppressors. And on the cross, he conformed only to his Father's will, which was salvation and deliverance and liberation for all of humanity. The tomb was even too small for him. That box was even too small for him. And in his resurrection, we were given the gift of life. The last part of this, uh, this passage, there's a beautiful contrast to the scene in the temple. It says, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Jesus finally <laughs> encounters people who believe, not because of any miracles they saw, but because they had heard about him from John and what they'd heard was true. Many believed and I think many had life in his name. So we're called to live more than little red box lives with Jesus. We, we're called to have more than little red box faith where, where we try to fit Jesus into this little mold of who we want him to be. We're called to actually listen to him as our shepherd and follow him as our shepherd. It's an invitation 
to relationship. It's an invitation to be known. And truly, friends, like, I'm, I, I'm as guilty of it as anybody because sometimes I really just want Jesus to be plain. I just want him to say it, right? Um, this is last, last week. Uh, we had someone coming to stay with us, and things have been challenging um, at work for me. And I was like, so, Lord, you know, if you want to give that man a word for me whom I've never met and just just tell him to tell me something like, you know, you should find another job or you should stay in your job. And I'm like, just make it plain. And I want that, I want that plain, easy thing. But the question really then is, do I want an answer or do I want Jesus? Because what Jesus is saying to me is, man, I'll, yeah, I can give you an answer, but what I'd rather give you is myself. That was what he was offering the Jewish rulers. Not just an answer, but his whole self. There's an invitation to mystery and journey and presence, right? There's an invitation to expectation as we look forward to the season of Advent. It's a time of expectation and waiting. It's an invitation to hope and joy and peace and love. Those are the four themes of Advent. And this morning, I think that Jesus is inviting us. Um, He's inviting us back. And maybe your back is the first time that you've ever considered what it might mean to follow Jesus. If you've been kind of on the fence and thinking about what it might mean to like really be all in with Jesus, and he's standing at the, at the door of your heart and he's saying, hey, um, let's do this, let's walk together, let's walk this journey together. Just listen and follow, listen and follow. That's, the, that's what it is to be in relationship. So I wonder if that's where you are today. Um, and for others of us, um, maybe it's just a renewed, like, okay, last week wasn't what I thought it was going to be. This week is a new week. I can do something different. I can listen more clearly. I can, I can um, follow more closely Jesus. And that's the invitation. So let me pray for us. And I'd like for you to consider what's the invitation for you this morning. I trust that the Holy Spirit is here working among us. That, that there's been something in this message that may have struck a chord or has connected with you. Um, I'd like for you to consider that as I pray. You are the good shepherd, Jesus. And Lord, forgive us for the times when we're guilty of, of wanting to put you in our little red box and take you out and put you back again. Thank you for being bigger. And thank you for the grand love. It's relentless and persistent and pursuing us. Help us to hear you, Holy Spirit, in this moment and to respond to the invitation that you have. We love you, God, and pray these things 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.